The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey everyone, Josh Norris here with another edition of the Road to World Football Podcast, the off-season edition. Um, it continues to be the off-season, and that means I'm going to continue to go through these team-by-team draft press conferences and give you my thoughts, but also bring in someone each week. And this week, it's Kyle Posey from Bolts from the Blue, obviously the San Diego Chargers, SB Nation blog. Um, I thought the Chargers were one of the more fascinating teams throughout the week. Really interesting and intriguing storylines, starting with the number three selection, then all the way through draft weekend. So our conversation with Kyle started off with that number three overall selection. Enjoy, Bosa. Kyle, you know, with the number three pick, it was the first pick that actually had some surprise and intrigue behind it as we headed into the first round. And I was actually completely floored, completely shocked. The Chargers were not. They had him at the top of their board, they said, Tom Telesco said, since September, which in itself is fascinating. Were you surprised by the pick? I was surprised because I didn't know what their intentions were. I think that, you know, with they have Melvin Ingram and Jeremiah Tauchu just as their outside linebackers. But once they said that he was going to be like their five tech, so their defensive end in the three four and just kick inside, it actually makes a ton of sense because, as you say, where he wins, that is inside. So that's where I, I believe that's where his, you know, the best best bet as a pass rusher will be. So once once they laid out the plan for him, not so much. I was actually kind of happy that that's their plan for him. Yeah, because everyone, well, not everyone, but, but the rumor of the day was that it was going to be Ronnie Stanley was the selection. Um, I think a lot of us mocked DeForest Buckner, Jalen Ramsey in that slot as well. Um, but the Joey Bosa selection, just from what they said, they're not concerned about his weight. I believe he's, what, 282 pounds, something like that, just because of how much or how well he can hold up against the run. And I would say that we know that Bosa is, is kind of a power rusher, a hand-use rusher, not necessarily an, a bender, an athletic testing rusher, And even though that was his um, athletic testing measurables indicated. Um, but what he does so well, at the very least, is hold up against the run. So to me, it's fascinating that they think he can play that role despite just being 282 pounds. They don't want him to add any weight at all. I would agree. And I remember, so I actually wrote about this with Justice Mosquito, and we were talking about what his best usage would be. And I I was actually arguing for the fact that he can hold up inside just because when when you're talking about, you know, height, weight, it's more about you know, hand usage, like you said, and just staying square, you know, that that kind of technique type things. And he's one of the stronger players in the draft, and he has, you know, really heavy hands. So I really Definitely. do think that 
that'll be a good, a very good spot for him. Yeah, and the decision makers even said that they're in four-man fronts two-thirds of the time anyways, just in their nickel and sub-packet situations. So there he's an obvious fit, either as an inside, interior rusher, depending on the matchup, on the outside as well. I do want to get your take on this, though, because they, they did say that he was on the board, the number one player since September. Does it bother you at all that a player – his ranking, his grade, does not change at all, despite more information, seeing other prospects play from September up until April 30th? Or are you completely cool with, with the guy just standing at the top of the board through the, throughout the entire process? Yeah, and I'd be fine with it if, you know, he was number one and they were impressed by, let's say, like his short, uh, sorry, his shuttle numbers and, you know, they, if they were impressed by his 10-yard split, like that sort of thing. Um, but with, with the history of the GM... I, I think he does kind of get tunnel vision. We saw that with Melvin Gordon last year. So I, th- I think um, just based on his history, it kind of is a little worrisome. Yeah. But again, with the plan made, with the plan that they laid out, I could certainly see why. So let's move on to the second round. Hunter Henry, obviously, um, will be of intrigue for, for fantasy players as well. The tight end in the second round, early second round, pick number 35 overall. Um, they termed him the best tight end in the draft, obviously at Arkansas. He played out of a variety of sets. I mean, he was played outside. He was played in the slot, played in line. Somewhat of a pro-style scheme, even though they split out and used some spread concepts this year much more often. Um, is this the heir apparent to Antonio Gates, or are they immediately going to use him in two tight end sets? I think it's going to be a bit of both. So I think he's the obvious heir apparent whenever Gates decides to hang it up. But at the same time, they really, um, they really feature that 12 personnel with the two tight end sets. And last year with Ladarius Green, the, the incumbent, it's number two tight end, uh, he split out in the slot and they used, him, they used him in the red zone quite a bit on just, you know, fade routes to the corner, like that sort of thing. So that's that's where Henry's going to have to step in and, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to have a chance to get some red zone targets. Yeah, you brought up Ladarius Green's name. And for as much as I, you know, tweet about these comments that the, the GMs and the head coaches make after these press conferences. They kept saying that Hunter Henry is a complete tight end. And all the responses I was getting were along the lines of, well, they just let go of Ladarius Green for nothing. I mean, in free agency, obviously. I mean, he got paid pretty well by the Steelers. But why do you think that they let a player of Green's caliber who really emerge in the last two seasons and then just turn around right around and spend a second round selection on a guy like Hendry. Do, do they think he's a more complete tight end, whereas he can play in line and green could not, um, or is it for different reasons? I would imagine. So I think that they really, with their running game, they really, when they tried to get to the edges last year, both Gates and green just could not hold up in the run game. Just not very good blockers at this point. And um, I, I think Henry, you know, obviously you're not going to compare him to what an offensive lineman would do, but, right. but for a tight end, I think he's a very serviceable blocker and I think he's actually above average. So I think that's why this was the case. So not just to help their passing game and get more targets for the quarterback, but also to help out the run game as well. Yeah. And they even said he was a first round talent. So it sounds like they got two first round grades um, in their top two selections, which, you know, every team wants to do. All right, let's move on to the third round pick number 66. Uh, center, Max Turk, um, very, really intriguing prospect, missed all of last season due to a knee injury. They don't seem concerned by that, or at least they weren't after the draft. Meanwhile, they go and sign who? Matt Slauson. That's correct. Um, yeah. And, but Turk, the, the, the biggest thing that they brought up was his ability to get to the second level. 
and seal off linebackers. And that creates long runs, something they've really struggled doing last year with Melvin Gordon in a variety of ways, just blocking in general. Um, do you see Turk um, coming in and being a starter? Um, or is he going to you know, compete with um, all the interior offensive linemen that they have, namely at center, which they have struggled staying healthy in recent years? I imagine that he's going to certainly have a shot. I think they want to make sure that he's, you know, 100%, and that's why they brought in Slauson. But just as far as you said, the getting to the second level and just getting out in space and executing, I think he's about as good as it gets as far as I've, as long as I've been watching, like centers making those and executing those blocks. So I think if that was their plan, I think Turk's, Turk's the perfect fit for that. I'm, I'm a big fan of his, and yeah. I really think he's going to help help spring some runs like that as well. And he's extremely mobile. Um, I mean, the way he can pull or, like we talked about, just getting in a straight line, sealing off runs, um, it's fascinating. And also, he does offer some versatility, and, and they brought this up. Like, he, he's played tackle before. He's played guard. So if he's that utility offensive lineman for you, even from day one on that, what, 46-man roster that's active – that's not so bad either because teams, that's that's a valuable piece. Um, and quickly, they even brought up that he's Cody Kessler's roommate, um, which I found fascinating <laughs> because, I mean, really, and you hear about it all the time with these centers having to make calls and checks at the line of scrimmage, you need to be intelligent. If you're the quarterback's roommate, I guess, by osmosis, you understand the playbook. I, I think that's what they were going with. Um, anyways, let's move on to the fourth round. Fourth and fifth rounds, there were multiple linebackers selected. Um, now, they could not be more different, right? You have Josh Perry, who's this big um, physical presence that can line up inside or outside, and then Jatavis Brown. But first, give me your thoughts on, on Josh Perry, the linebacker from Ohio State, who was selected in the fourth round. I was a big fan of Perry. So one of the two – these are two of the three linebackers that I wanted the Chargers to, to take. They hmm. took them – they took these two. So who was I just the third? think Perry um, – so I guess it was quote-unquote uh, Cravens, but I don't know if you okay. want to call him a linebacker. But I guess the other one was Antonio Morrison, but we don't have to get into we don't have to get into that. But it's just as far as Perry goes. So he's he's he plays like he lumbers, but he's not slow, if that makes sense. Um, I think he has very good instincts. I think he's aggressive, like the thumper type role, quote unquote. But I, I also think he's better in pass coverage than he's given credit for. Um, I, I think a lot of you know it's easy to look at you know forty times and think oh you know he's not fast. He didn't run specifically fast, so. He's not going to be in coverage, but I just think he's very aware and he carries guys down the seam and he just finds guys to cover. He just finds work, so to say. So I'm a big fan of Perry and I think eventually he's going to take the place of Manti Teo. Oh, wow. So you think they'll eventually let Teo go after his rookie deal and then just Perry will step in next to Denzel Perryman? I really do. Wow. Could, could you see that? Make a prediction now. Could you see that happening during this year if, if Teo just does not reach the, the play that they're hoping for because I mean this is a position where they've invested a lot in recent years right I mean you gave Donald Butler that was his name correct uh, a pretty yeah. good deal and then he just completely gave up after that deal um, you took Teo what in the second round Perryman and what the third or the fourth round if that's correct um, and then now you spend another fourth rounder on Josh Perry so is, is it something where they keep investing at this position because they're just not exactly getting what they thought um, out of the investment early on yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that the front office and the coaching staff isn't on the same page because I'm, I'm not mm. sure that any other team is investing this much. You mentioned the Manti going in the second. So they actually traded up with a fourth to get him as well. Wow. So there's multiple investments in there. But I, I do think he will take over this year. I think that it's just a 
Manti just has trouble staying healthy. So I think what's going to happen is in the middle of the season, he's going to get nicked up, lose his spot, and not get it back. So then in the fifth round, you take a completely opposite kind of linebacker in Jatavis Brown from Akron, who I absolutely love throughout this process. Um, Jatavis Brown, and what's fascinating to me is that early on the process, right, we talked, we tried to find fits for Miles Jack. And I, I know that when he went to go talk or visit or whatever the San Diego Chargers, they talked about playing him at safety. And in a very lesser role or, or a lesser style of, of prospect, I think that Jatavis Brown has some similarities to a Miles Jack. And I wouldn't be surprised at all, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, but if they see him as kind of that hybrid linebacker, hybrid safety, and someone that they want to play very early on in that role. Absolutely. And I can – I could see them, you know, not trusting, you know, the the injury situation with Jack and um, feeling a lot more comfortable with Brown. But I can I can see him playing, you know, that slot safety type role uh, where he's just out in space and running and chasing, playing in coverage, just doing everything that you would need sort of a box type player to do, but but more of a sideline to sideline as well. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of his as well. You can see I mean, you see guys run fast, but they don't always play that fast. But I think it, in a matter of plays, you can see that Brown can really, really run. And then with a lot of the no- the knocks on Brown is, you know, he misses a lot of tackles. So I think with how we kind of overrate drops, we overrate missed tackles as well because mm-hmm. he has some tackles where he would slow down the running back. And obviously he didn't finish the play. And there were plays where it always, you know, every missed tackle isn't the same. But he would miss a tackle in the backfield and like his teammates would corral him and just finish the play. Or there are other tackles where he had no business being there, but he covered so much ground, right. he would slow them down. So um, there are just some very, very impressive plays on his tape. I think, yeah, I think if he gets a chance to play that sort of safety hybrid role, like you mentioned, like Jack might, uh, he'll have a chance to chance to be a player. Yeah, and the Chargers were thrilled with this pick, which is always um, intriguing to me because, like, why wait until the fifth round to take a guy that you absolutely love and you covet? Because they even said things like, this is the one player in our draft room where if we didn't draft him, there would have been a revolt. Um, and then they got messages from all other teams around the league um, saying, good pick, good pick, which again, to me is fascinating that it's a fifth rounder that's, you know, drawing that type of uh, praise and um, appreciation. Anyways, let's go to the sixth round. Finally, we'll wrap up with this one. Um, Derek Watt, the Wisconsin fullback. Do you think, it mattered that he went to Wisconsin and was Melvin Gordon's running mate and lead blocker because they did take Melvin Gordon the first round last year? I definitely do think that. I don't think this is a coincidence at all. I think they're trying to get as much continuity as they can in the backfield, just trying to make Gordon as comfortable as he can. So I think that that's where this, that's where this pick is. Yeah, and they even said the opposite, which I found – <laughs> right. Like, I mean, right. these guys lie all the time, right? And you kind of pick through it once you watch and read them. They said that it's no, that it, it, it's, it's just a coincidence that Watton and, and Gordon went to the same school. It's just a coincidence that, uh, Boswell, the, no, who's the kicker? Excuse me. Uh, Kaiser. Yes. The, the punter. And then obviously your place kicker went to the same school right. as well, which again, I wouldn't say that's such a coincidence. Um, but one final thing quickly. I think, didn't the team have like four tight ends last year and somewhat used one as a fullback in certain situations? But it seems to me that now it's it's a um, priority for them to maybe eliminate one of those tight ends and use a designated fullback as a lead blocker just to get something going in the running game. Is, is that valid? 
It is very valid. And they did try to use one of their tight ends as a fullback last year, and he just did not work out. So um, I can see why they invested in a fullback. I don't see Watt being the lead blocker type. I just don't see him as a very good blocker at this point. <laughs> but I, I can see them, you know, lining him up like that H-back role just off the line of scrimmage and you know, just more of a tight end, like a move tight end type. Um, and I'm, I'm going to ask you for a prediction just to end this. Um, I, I think we can both say that Melvin Gordon was kind of the secondary runner last year. Do you, do you expect him, and maybe by injury, by just the success of everyone else around him, the poor blocking ahead of him, do you expect him to take a huge jump in his second year, in his sophomore season? Um, or do you think we'll see much of the same with Melvin Gordon? I think we might see a couple more flashes, so a couple more, you know, bigger 15, 15 20 yard runs, but I really don't think we're going to see the ceiling that, you know, some of the fans want to see, you know, as, as rough it is, is as it is to say. I think what you see is what you get with Melvin Gordon, honestly. Uh, Kyle, really appreciate it, man. Thanks for uh, joining me for these 15 minutes. Um, and keep up the good work at Bolts from the Blue. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Once again, I appreciate Kyle joining me. It was short notice, but he stepped in and did a great job. Um, so let's go through the rest of the AFC West. Obviously, you have to start with the defending Super Bowl champions and the Denver Broncos and the entire draft weekend was summarized by one selection for them, and that's Paxton Lynch. I thought it was fascinating that they started the day wanting to target Paxton Lynch. At least that's what they have told the media afterwards, and even called all the way up to number 17 with the Atlanta Falcons with an offer to move up to that spot. And they weren't necessarily worried about the teams in front of them selecting Paxton Lynch, but it was the teams behind them um, moving up from the end of the – or the beginning of the second round, excuse me, to go up and get Paxton Lynch. That's what they were most worried about. And then the second-round pick, Adam Gotsis, a defensive lineman out of Georgia Tech, missed a bit of time due to injury, um, the senior bowl, obviously. But one thing stuck out, and that's them saying that our defensive line coach is pretty good, quote-unquote. And obviously that defensive line coach wanted to work with Gotsis. I think a comparison to Derek Wolf is there, and obviously they want to replace Malik Jackson, who got paid uh, this offseason. Um, then moving on to the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously the, mo the second most competitive team in that division, at least it seems that way. Um, they put an emphasis on rounds two through four after trading back from the first round. And they're the second team throughout the series to really prioritize that fourth round, the first being the Baltimore Ravens, who had a handful of selections in that fourth round. The Chiefs had three in that fourth round, um, going with Parker Ehringer, um, the Cincinnati offensive lineman who can play tackle and also guard, um, Minnesota defensive back Eric Murray, and then Florida wide receiver Demarcus Robinson. The, that was a th the trio of fourth-round picks that they had, and they accumulated more throughout draft weekend. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that they – drafted three cornerbacks. Now, one might play somewhat of a safety corner hybrid role, but this is a team that has some, some young corners. Obviously, Marcus Pierce was a first-round pick last year, but trying to add more and more to that position group. Um, then let's move, finally, to the Oakland Raiders. Honestly, throughout this entire process so far, the Raiders have given me the least uh, in terms of their draft press conferences. Um the questions asked weren't very good. The responses weren't very good. Maybe the biggest thing that I got was that they were very proud of their three Super Bowl trophies and displayed them behind um, Jack Del Rio and Reggie McKenzie in, in each of their press conferences. 
Um, but with Carl Joseph, the number 14 overall selection, obviously coming off a knee injury, um, they said that they've loved Carl Joseph from day one, really didn't entertain at all the questions about Miles Jack at the time. Um, but they also, and this was a theme for them, that they don't want to give up who has come in and visited them. Um, or at least it's not necessarily that the visits correlate to who they're going to select because Carl Joseph didn't visit a few of the prospects that they selected, didn't visit. And each time that was brought up by the local media, um, Reggie McKenzie let out a little smirk and a little smile. And you can tell that he kind of wants to hide who they select. But obviously moving up for Connor Cook in the fourth round was a bit of a storyline. Um, Reggie McKenzie, it seems like, rarely, rarely trades up. So um, it was too good of a player for them to pass up, in their opinion. And McKenzie went back to his days at Green Bay and noted that, yes, they always kept three quarterbacks in Green Bay, so why not a third here in Connor Cook? And Jihad Ward, prospect that I liked in the second round, um, I know a lot of people have questions, but he's going to be more of an interior force for them. At least that's the notes that they gave. And so, um, you know what? Jack DeRio might be trying to get his Malik Jackson in this situation because he was with Malik Jackson early in his career with the Denver Broncos. So that's it. Um, as always, you can leave us a review. Please rate us on iTunes. It helps out a lot. Um, mask, I want to point out to The Mask for giving us a review recently a glowing one, surprisingly. Um, and on Stitcher. Yes, we're on Stitcher. Um, subscribe on Stitcher. Um, yes, thanks for consuming this. Sorry for the issues over the past weeks. We're switching services and doing all that kind of stuff, but should be on a week-to-week basis again now. So again, iTunes, great review. Stitcher, check us out in there, and I will talk to you all next week. Thanks again. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.